following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Just a few short days ago, I found myself walking up a road and looking up high above was Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon is famous in Scripture because Mount Hermon is where the angels who sinned against the Lord God of heaven and were judged severely and put in prison. They touched down on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was snow-capped, beautiful. The warmth of spring was all about me. The flowers were blossoming. The grass was all green. I was about 25 or 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It would have taken Jesus and the disciples a very long day's walk from Capernaum coming up to Caesarea Philippi. But this was a place of great importance for one reason. It was here that Jesus finally declared himself to be Messiah, the Son of God. I walked very soberly up that small road, wondering if Jesus had traveled this very road with the disciples. I made my way to a rock-cliffed face, and there I stood on, on rock, looking at this great cliffed face before me. It was hollowed out. In Jesus' day, a great portion of water had come from a spring deep within that mountain, water flowing down from Mount Hermon with the melting of the snow. I stood there facing what the people of that day called the gateway to hell, the gateway to the underworld. The place was a worshiping center of Pan. Pan is a a goat-like figure with the face of a man, horns, goat legs. He's the goat god. I first ran into Pan when watching a Shakespearean play many years ago, Midsummer Night's Dream, this mischievous goat man. Well, Pan was worshipped here, but all sign of him had been removed, except etched in the rock were these places where the idols had been placed. This place, 2,000 years ago, was a place of worship. It was a place of, of sacrifice. It was held in awe by the people. It was a place of great bloodshed. 
Herod had executed people here. He had tortured people here. And others after him would do the same. In one instance, they said more than 2,500 people had been tortured and killed in this place. I stood there somber, facing this great cavern. No longer does the water pour forth because there was an earthquake and it changed the course of the springs, but the springs now flow out of the base and the crystal clear water flowing down through channels, the majority of which will become the Jordan River. I stood remembering what had happened with Jesus in this place. The story is found in Matthew, the 16th chapter. Let me begin reading for you in verse 13. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, a favorite favorite name that Jesus used of himself was Son of Man. He was the Son of God. He was the only begotten, the only one of his kind. He was God himself. But he called himself Son of Man. They all knew what he was asking them. And they answered, and they said, Well, some say, You're John the Baptist. And others say, You're Elijah. Still others say, You're Jeremiah, or or perhaps one of the prophets of old. And now Jesus goes right for the heart of the issue. Now remember where they're standing. They're standing right at the face of the primary worship center of Pan, the goat god. Also right there with them is the worship of Baal or Baal. And there were other gods they were worshiping right there. This is the pagan center of worship held in great awe by the people. And he said to them, Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responds, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. You are little rock. And on this rock, he's standing on the rock. On this rock, facing the goat god. And Baal, the pagan gods, 
facing them. He's saying, on this rock, and rock here is in the feminine, while Peter, rock is in the masculine. It's not the same rock. He said, I will build my church. And the forces of Hades will not overpower it. In other words, Jesus is standing facing the entrance into the underworld. He is facing all of the power of Baal and Pan and the other great gods of the day. He stands facing these ancient gods. And he says, I will build my church. And these gods, this underworld, it will not withstand my church. How that encourages my heart. That the powers of darkness cannot overcome the church. You, me. They cannot overcome us because the church is established by Almighty God. Now he continues. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, it's already loosed in heaven. And he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Now, we need to very quickly look at the reality that Jesus is speaking about. Many today have decided that they can use the keys of the kingdom... And then heaven has to endorse what they have said. That's not what the passage of Scripture means, nor is it what it says. Rather, as we cooperate with the decisions that are made in heaven, we come into agreement with the decisions that Jesus makes in the most holy compartment of the heavenly sanctuary. As we come into agreement, with the decisions that Jesus makes in the holy compartment of the heavenly sanctuary. Remember, the sanctuary in the desert was built after the model of the one seen in heaven that Moses was shown. And today, Jesus ministers in that heavenly tabernacle on your behalf and on mine, ministering to us the benefits of the blood shed at Calvary. Whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. In other words, you have no ability and no power to bind anything on earth that has not been first bound in heaven. You have no power and no authority to loose anything on earth that has not already been loosed in the heavenlies. In other words, the picture is that we are cooperating with heaven. We are cooperating with Jesus in the work of the church. Now, just to demonstrate this point, in verse 21, 
From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, Peter is taking him aside and binding the work and the purpose of God. Does that binding stand? No. No. He says, oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. He's binding it. But Jesus turned, verse 23, and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. In other words, Peter does not yet have the maturity to come into agreement with the heaven. Instead, he's coming and trying to force the heavenly man, Jesus, to be bound by the ideas and the philosophies of men. Now, please, this is vital for you to understand. Today, the Christian church is filled with that which stands in complete opposition to heaven. And we have tried to bind the philosophy of man and force heaven to agree with it. That will never happen. My job as a pastor is not to bind on earth so that it can be bound in heaven. No, my job as a pastor is to know what is bound in heaven and bind it on earth, to cooperate with God. It is for me to loose on earth that which has already been loosed in heaven. In other words, it's for me to come into agreement with God, not God come into agreement with me. You'll see why I'm talking about this in just a moment. But back to my experience at Caesarea Philippi, I stood on that rock, and out loud I cried out, I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. The gates of hell cannot withstand the church in Washington, D.C. The gates of hell cannot withstand the gospel in America. The gospel has been loosed in heaven for America. It cannot be bound because heaven has loosed the gospel of holiness and righteousness in our land. But there is such incredible deception. So I stood before that gaping hole they believe to go into the underworld. And I wept. I walked to the other ruins of the other temples. The temple that Herod built in front of that entrance into the underworld. It's all gone except 
for a few pieces of archaeological findings, as are the other temples that were built beside it. And I said, Jesus, thank you that there is nothing left to commemorate the god Pan or Baal or the others that they worshipped in this place. Your word was true. The gates of hell will not withstand your gospel. They have been destroyed. They are gone. But you stand firm, Jesus Christ. As I stood there and confessed these things aloud with tears of joy running down my face, I thank Jesus for his mercy and his grace and his kindness. Incredible kindness. Incredible kindness. <laughs> but now please. In the coming days I'll be sharing much more about the trip to Israel. It was without a doubt one of the most life-changing events I've ever experienced. Bet Shin was stunning. The Garden of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. Magdala. You remember Mary of Magdala. Nazareth, the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum. These places I've always read about the Mount of Beatitudes. Today, banana crop is raised where everyone sat on that day. I'll be sharing the spiritual insights gained in the coming days and weeks and months. I will just tell you I'm planning on returning to Israel March 4, 2018, one year. And it will be a trip that will last from March 4 to March 13. I've already reserved hotels. I've already hired guides. We're going to go and have an incredible time and look at what Jesus did and said in hidden in the Holy Land. I'd like you to go with me. I'll share pricing and other other issues as time moves forward. But now please, I come today with rejoicing that I was able to be in Israel. I come rejoicing that the gates of hell cannot withstand the gates of hell cannot withstand the church. <clears throat> but I have to tell you, Satan cannot withstand the church, but he can bring into the church every kind of false teaching. And those false teachings drain the life and the energy out of the hearts of Christian people. 
and because of the great increase in wickedness, the Christian's heart can become cold toward Jesus. And frankly, many of you listening to this broadcast have hearts that are cold or lukewarm toward Jesus. I'm going to share with you some things today and tomorrow that may be startling to you. I just heard about a nationally and internationally known pastor who came to Washington, D.C. He had a new twist on an old story. It was reported to me that he said that God loves us unconditionally and that God has forgiven all past, present, and future sin. And not only that, that when you sin against Jesus, you are signing a a lease agreement with the devil, allowing him to come into your life. But not to worry, because the title deed to your life is owned by Jesus. In other words, you're going to make agreements with the devil and you're going to sin, but not to worry because the title deed to your life is held by Jesus and he will save you regardless of your sin. Now please, there are, there are doctrines of demons that come dressed up as angels of light. This man's doctrine that he is teaching is a doctrine of demons it is a doctrine of darkness i hear it everywhere i go i attended a funeral and it was said there that god's love is unconditional i want to be very clear with you but i want to be clear with you from scripture it's not my ideas versus someone else's ideas I want to share with you what the actual Word of God says. Now, the result of these false teachings has been a lack of spiritual refinement in the life of God's people. These lies that are being taught drain away the power of the Holy Spirit from our lives. And they cause us to think that we can walk in darkness and still walk in the light at the same time. Or they cause us to believe that we're saved and then we must strive for the rest of our life to be righteous, but we can never overcome. We just have to strive and do our best. Of course, that belief is legalism. Our salvation is a free gift from Jesus. It is by faith. It is not by works. But it is imparting real righteousness and removing all sin from our hearts 
so that we walk day by day without sinning against God. The normal Christian life is a life without sin. But now let me just show you. I want to read this for you. And I think I'm going to read it first for you from the HCSB Bible translation. It's a very good translation. And then I'd like to turn to one that is not nearly as well known. And that is the Lavender translation. It is a much more literal translation, so it's not as easy to read. It doesn't flow as smoothly. But listen. First John. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the logos of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Compare the opening of First John, the epistle, with the Gospel of John, written by the same man, saying many of the same things. First John has a shorter intro, but it says the same thing. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Christ Jesus. We are writing these things so that our joy, or so that your joy, may be complete. So what I'm going to read for you now is the precious disciple that Jesus loved, John, who used to be a son of thunder, who was transformed into a new man, a new creature. This man said, we've, we've touched Jesus. We've seen Jesus. We've talked with Jesus. We're going to bear witness to what we know about this Jesus. And he says, because of what we have seen and heard, we declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you want fellowship with John... And you want fellowship, koinonia. Koinonia, fellowship. If you want fellowship with the Father and with the Son, and you want fellowship with us, I'm going to write to you now and tell you how to have that. Now, this is 
the message we've heard from him and declare to you. So what I'm going to share with you is not Ray Greenlee's idea. It's not my opinion. It's the opinion, it's the belief, it's the declaration of John the Apostle. And you'll see immediately that it is in full disagreement with many of your church beliefs. And frankly, I'm at a point in my life where I can no longer play or hide my eyes from the reality of what it is that is destroying the American church. What is causing an utter lack of morality? What is causing Christians to be able to consume all of the entertainment of the world? And yet call themselves Christians. Bitterness and anger, lying and cheating, stealing... pornography, fornication, adultery. Some of you are closet alcoholics. Whatever the area of sin, you curse like a sailor, you drop the F word all the time when you're angry, you're controlling, you try to make other people do what you want them to do and you curse them if they don't the filthy darkness of your life you have to face the filthy darkness of your life you cannot pretend is righteousness you cannot pretend it's okay let me read this to you Now this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. Truth is something we practice. Truth is something we do, something we are. In the depths of our being, there is such a refinement that comes into the heart of a person and the life and the speech and the feelings of a person when they walk totally in the light and they have left the darkness. The darkness is a place of dishonesty, bitterness, anger, The darkness is a place of hurt, recrimination, vengeance, of lying, cheating, stealing, of cowardice, of drug addiction, of alcohol addiction, of tobacco addiction. Any addiction is sin. All addictions are sin-based. says, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. My brother, my sister, I challenge you today to no longer lie about your spiritual condition. 
but rather to come to terms with who you really are and who you really aren't. I challenge you today to stop running from the light. I challenge you to come out into the light today and acknowledge your sin before God. Acknowledge the lust of your heart. Some of you just don't want to give up that fornication. It's where you feel loved. It's where you feel comforted. It's where you feel valued. But you don't want to marry him. You just want to hook up. You're walking in the darkness. And it's draining the light away from your life. Some of you are going to lie because you've got to cover yourself. You've been lying for years. The thought of beginning to speak the truth, what would people think? It's time to speak the truth. First to ourselves, then to Jesus, and then to the people we've been lying to. It says, this is verse 7 of 1 John, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Some of you are walking in darkness. You haven't been to church in how many weeks? You're overwhelmed with all of your worldly activities. You don't have time for God. He's been exceedingly kind to you. He has been merciful to you. He has so many times called after you. You perhaps one day in the past found comfort in Jesus Christ, but today you are far away from him. You are angry in your spirit. You don't understand you're walking in defensiveness and hostility, in hopelessness and despair. You're depressed. Isn't it time to return to the light, to Jesus? To stop the lies? To acknowledge your true condition? It says his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. On this trip to Israel that I've been sharing with you, I spoke with a Jewish man. I said to him, do you believe in animal sacrifices? He said, oh no, Pastor Ray, we don't believe in animal sacrifices. I said, well then how do you deal with your sin? He said, no, we don't. We don't think like that anymore. We don't have We can, and we counteract whatever is harmful in our lives by doing good things for other people. John is saying, if you say we have no sin, you're deceiving yourselves. The truth isn't in you. It says if, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous 
That is, he is innocent. To forgive us our sins, but not just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is not my job to cleanse myself from my sin by striving hard. It's my job to submit to Jesus and allow him to circumcise my heart. The work of cleansing from all unrighteousness is the work that Jesus is willing to do in you. He will remove the addiction. He will remove the lust. He will remove every area of sin from your heart. But if you say, we don't have any sin, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. In other words, if if you hear me speaking these words to you and say, but pastor, pastor, I don't have any sin, I'm okay. And you've never been forgiven, and you've never been cleansed, and the work of Jesus has never been accomplished in your life. You're lying. This dear man was lying to me when he said, you know, I don't have sin. I just, I make mistakes, but but I counteract those mistakes by doing wonderful things for other people. It's all humanism. And I do have to tell you, the first day after landing at Ben-Gurion Airport, we drove to Tel Aviv, And we toured Tel Aviv, and I'll tell you more about that later. But then, toward evening, we headed to Tiberias. And there we stayed in a beautiful hotel. And at 8.30 the next morning, we gathered with our guide and began the drive the short distance to Capernaum. Tiberias is not a a city that was there when Jesus was there. It was built later as a counter by secular pagans to counter the Jewish strength of religious belief, to counter Capernaum and other centers of of strength. That morning at breakfast, a dear friend said to me, What do you think, Ray? I was tired. The night before, I hadn't slept at all, and I didn't sleep much that first night in Tiberias. So at breakfast, when he said to me, Well, what do you think, Ray? I said, I wish I had not come. Tears began to come to my eyes. I wish I'd not come to Israel. I'd go home today if I could. He said, why? I said, because the shock of being in Israel is so great. I feel like Peter. After he saw the catch of fish, he said, depart from me, for I'm an ungodly man. I'm I'm an evil man. I'm a wicked man. I felt like that. And the reason I felt like that is that I saw in Tel Aviv and I saw as I thought about it 
in Tiberias overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and as I walked in Tiberias, I saw a total absence of Jesus. And I saw the absolute reality that Jesus could have done nothing in Galilee where most of his ministry was, he could have done nothing in Galilee or in Jerusalem or in Judea had he not been anointed by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit coming upon his life that empowered him to touch the lives of other men and women. I recognized I do not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I do not have the Pentecost anointing of the Holy Spirit. Never forget, I was on the phone speaking with my pastor some years ago. very famous pastor I said David could I come to New York to Times Square Church and would you anoint me with oil and would you baptize me in the Holy Spirit and he said to me Don't come, Ray. I said, why? He said, because I don't have that power either. And this man is recognized, was recognized before his death in America as a man of great integrity, as a man anointed by God to preach the gospel in New York City. He said, I don't have that kind of power either. I don't have Pentecost power. I recognized that I did not have the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was overwhelmed on that first day in Israel. Recognizing that the greatest need of the hour is for the anointing power of the fire of God on men and women. Oh, yes, I speak in tongues. Yes, I have some anointing of the Holy Spirit or I could not come and speak these words to you. but I do not have the power of the Holy Spirit as Jesus did or as the disciples did after Pentecost. I greatly desire the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I am seeking that baptism day and night and I will not stop until that anointing has been granted. For America can never be touched with the gospel until we come to terms with the question of sin and stop soft-peddling with lies that you can walk in the darkness and still be in the light. 
We must have the victory over our sin, and that victory only comes with the coming of the Holy Spirit who anoints with the blood of Jesus, cleanses, breaks the power of sin in our lives, and restores us. We must have this. John goes on. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Righteous here is dikasune, meaning innocent, rendered innocent. In other words, Jesus is innocent. There is no charge we can place against him. He will forgive us for our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him out a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atonement for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. You understand? The lie is spoken in America from almost every pulpit today that God loves us unconditionally, that we can live in our sin and still go to heaven. And so God's people have never had to truly confront the horrendous condition of their soul. So they can hang with the darkness and they can hang with Jesus. The resulting is they live in a, what shall I call it, a halfway world. Gray, dark, never having the victory never having the rejoicing of God in their heart, never shouting and dancing because they have the victory and have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This must change if America is ever going to come to terms with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe today that you can continue to walk in the darkness then you are standing in direct opposition to the word of God. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. You either walk in the darkness or you walk in the light. And in the light there is no sin. And if on occasion, John says, the exception, you sin against God. If you confess that, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us so that we don't continue that sin. We walk clean before God. Now, I don't know how it is with your heart, but the most joyous message that we call the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus will both forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from every unrighteousness and call us to have koinonia, fellowship with the Father and with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, that we can walk in joy and peace, we can be clean before God. 
we can be made righteous now by a gift of his grace not covering our sins and pretending that it's not there but walking in righteousness Mr. Producer how much time do we have left? 90 seconds where was my 5 minute warning? (laughs) Okay we're out of time today would you please for homework read 1 John the first chapter 1 John the first chapter and then would you read the gospel of John the first chapter we have to come to terms with this I also invite you to participate with me and help covering the cost of this radio broadcast please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 and go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com you can listen to this broadcast again or you can watch it on video go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com God bless you my brother my sister I'll talk to you soon